Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Dan Lewis. Dan is co-founder and CEO of Convoy, a digital trucking network that is transforming the trillion dollar global trucking industry in service of its mission to transport the world with endless capacity and zero waste. Before Convoy, Dan served as general manager of new shopping experiences at Amazon after having product and data roles at Microsoft, Google, and various startups. After graduating from Yale University with a bachelor's degree in cognitive science, Dan started his career in supply chain and strategy consulting for Oliver Wyman, working in operations across Europe, Latin America, and the U.S. Welcome, Dan. Good to see you. Hi, Shauna. Thanks for having me on. I'm so glad that we made this happen. I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire, and I I want us trying to sneak in a lot of questions in here because I have so much to ask you. It's like insane. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what would your friends from fifth grade, like what words would they use to describe you? Three words. Tall, <laughs> <laughs> goofy, and fast. Oh, that was how they would have described you in fifth grade? Probably fifth grade, yeah. I'm, I mean, fifth grade's like, I feel like those fifth are grade is, qualities is that, that matter. 10, 11? Sports yeah. and, I don't know, your personality, I don't know. That's probably Yeah. Cool. What was your first concert? First one that I really remember kind of doing myself was R.A.M. Oh, that's a good one. Love it. And I know you're a traveler, so which country is on your bucket list? I would love to go to India or China. I've never been to either. And I feel like they're so important. And so I, I've you know met and spent time with so many people from those countries. And it's something I'd love to go see. Yeah, me too. I've never been to either place. Okay. So Dan, if you could have any one superpower, what would it be? Uh, I think about superpowers a lot. Um, I think the two that I would want myself, or maybe just the one, uh, I don't like the idea of flying because I feel like you'd just be a target. So I kind of want to teleport places. I think it'd just be cool to appear anywhere. Because sometimes I'm like, you know, I'd really love to be on a beach right now. You kind of nice just be there for five. Mine is always teleporting 100%. Yeah, that one sounds good. And maybe sleeping one hour and being like fully recharged. That'd be kind of nice. Ooh, I don't okay, want to like live one. forever because I think everybody else gets old. And you kind of want to like go through the cycle of life. But it'd be nice to have like twice the life while you're while you're here. I don't know. Yeah. Or do all those things that you're like, if I had 48 hours in the day, I'd read more. I would whatever, exercise more. Yeah. I love those. Um, if there was a book written about your life, what would it be called? <laughs> I hate this question. I'm like so glad no one's ever asked me. <laughs> uh, 
man, what would it be called? Maybe I probably just like not getting down. I don't know, just optimism. I feel like that's what's kind of defined me in many ways. Hopefully yeah. being a witty, funny, sarcastic book. Some uh, sort of some sort of grit, something. Something just going, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Keep it, mo- keep it moving. Um, what is your, I don't even know if you do this. Some people do and some people don't, but if you do, what is your karaoke go-to song? I'm laughing because I'm remembering one that I did. Uh, so honestly, probably like something just like fun, like hip hop. The yeah. last one I did, Grant, my co-founder and I, or I uh, performed uh, Thrift Shop by Malcolm. Oh, I, nice. But I rewrote it the night before to be Freight Shop. And I wrote all the lyrics about trucking. So we did like a trucking performance. That's amazing. I didn't even know that story. I just was like, I feel like he could probably do get up there and do Grant something. Grant can like sing. That. No, Grant and you met, and Chris and Ferecki used to be a convoy. They were the karaoke stars of convoy. I was the one that kind of got up there and did it after a few drinks and, you know, and did it with a group around me. Like Grant can like sing, sing, like Grant legit sing. good voice. Yeah, Grant can sing. Grant did like Garth Brooks at one oh, of our, geez. at the Hard Rock when we were, we did an event there, I don't know, three or four years ago and did some karaoke. Nice. Um, I think I did the remix to Ignition, which is a little different genre. a little bit different that's so good i need to see all of this okay what is your favorite way to stay in shape or exercise uh these days i actually love so i've been shooting hoops with my daughter after school and after work a bit normally it'd be running my answer would be running or swimming or something like that hiking but i love basketball i grew up playing basketball she's six feet tall your daughter is six feet tall. Yeah, I have two daughters. One's 11, one just turned 13. So she was six feet when she was 12. She's left handed. She's pretty athletic. So, like, holy shit. Recently started getting into basketball and likes it. Oh, she's going to crush it. And so I've been like playing with her a bit after school, which is kind of my dream, like playing basketball with my kids. It's fun. Yes. It's so funny because so many people extend their basketball. I know you're young, but we have friends who are my age, like 50 plus, and they're all just like, one is getting taken out one after the next. From It's always basketball because yeah. they play. It's one of those sports you're like, I can't be thinking like, oh, I got to slow it down with my age. And it's, but play it while you can. I, like cool I got to sequence the sports. I've thought about this. I'm like, well, I can. It's true. Like this I, is the phase of basketball. Let it rip yeah, right now. Later on, it'll be more, you know, Golf, tennis, I don't know. Yeah. Curling. Um, so if you were competing in the Olympics, speaking of sports, which sport would you choose? Would it be basketball? I mean, basketball would be fun to play. I love playing basketball. I just like the attitude of basketball. In the Olympics, though, I don't know. Like, um, does it, okay, I guess summer or winter Olympics here. I'm going to go with any, any Olympics. Doing it. I think it'd be cool to be good enough to compete in, like, in like snowboarding like half pipe snowboarding at the olympics that would just be awesome do you do snowboard right now yeah i snowboarded um yeah i do snowboard not as much recently but i've snowboarded every year since i was 16 15 i was a kid i actually there was a huge snowstorm i think 1996 in seattle i got stuck at my friend's house for a week it was like two feet of snow and his backyard opened up to inglewood country club out in kenmore and so I, i learned to snowboard on like whichever you know, whichever of the holes are really steep. Um, so. I've never tried it. It looks, it looks too hard. And yeah. I feel like that ship has sailed. I just don't, I'm just trying to avoid injuries right now. Yeah. Have you ever done the um, behind the boat, like surfing? Yeah, the boat? I, I've done wakeboarding. Wakeboarding. Surfing. I grew up actually, I grew up in Seattle and some of my yeah. friends here had boats and we, we did the wakeboarding growing up. 
Yeah, it's just such um, a huge craze right now. It's just gotten like ginormous. Like, it's super aggressive and hurts. You know, you can mess yourself up if you're trying to do too much. Wake surfing is really relaxing. Well, it is if you're talented at that type of thing. Okay, what are you currently reading, listening to, or watching that you'd recommend? You know, I was so watching wise, I've been watching The Mandalorian. I've, I watched all the uh, Marvel and Star Wars movies with my two daughters over COVID. So we've been watching some of the series now, which I think is really fun. You know, another book, which is a little bit more, which a lot of people have read, but I, I finished it recently. There's one called The King Killer Chronicle. It's like a really hmm. good kind of like fancy book, um, which is super fun. Yeah. So you, um, you said you grew up in Seattle and I also read that you're one of five. That's a big family. Yeah. I'm one of five. Where are you in the birth order? I'm number two. So there's about 16, 17 years between the oldest and youngest in my family. Um, wow. we all, you know, we're all friends. Um, which is great. We all, uh, you know, hang out, um, which was actually really cool. It's funny when you have that much age gap, you don't ever hang out just you, just the siblings, right? That never happens because either you're with other people in your family or friends or someone's kids. Um, so I have two daughters. My older sister has three daughters and my next brother down has a daughter and a son. So there's uh, kind of a lot of kids running around at that, at that age. And then I have two that's, younger brothers after that. Uh, that's so fun because your, your daughters can also be like, built-in babysitters when your younger siblings start to have kids like that gap is so cool yeah and my sister is the oldest and then I'm the oldest of four boys underneath her and so oh my gosh she's like the queen bee (laughs) oh yes I need to meet her I love her she's great she actually lives in Seattle works at Disney Uh, oh nice and and then I you know and her husband I grew up with as well they met a long time ago so we kind of have a really cool group um but super spread out actually and yeah and my you know my parents my dad was born and raised in Seattle my mom grew up in Oregon so a lot of northwest nice so, and would you say that your siblings if if i asked them you know tell me about dan when he was little would they be like oh of course he's like ceo of this crazy multi billion dollar valuated company like is that what you were projected towards like i've had so many people on the podcast some are like oh no i was like messing around when i was little others that were like yes i was had a paper route or whatever <laughs> you know? the paper route is definitely the problem i bet there's some really strong correlation between whether or not you were like an just, organized paper deliverer yes. like well, especially in life. especially in especially in Seattle because it's like that's a shit job like it's all rainy you know nobody really wants but just the just the like yeah. I was working when I was yeah. little and I was industrious like yeah. I was focused on making money or totally learning. I was I was definitely like that I was the backup paper route person that my sister would send me out on the route when she didn't have time to do it yeah I don't know if that was as glorious but I definitely did the you know lawn care business my dad and uncle um, and uh, a couple uncles uh, worked at a company called Commercial Off Supply, which my grandfather had started. It was a small, have you ever seen the show The Office? It was similar to of that. Of course. Are you kidding? Yeah. I'm sure your daughters are watching that. My kids are obsessed. Yeah. So it was similar to that kind of like, you know, an office supply distribution company. So I spent my, you know, summers uh, building furniture, packing trucks, doing paperwork, you know, um, delivering eventually uh, around yeah. that area so I did I worked a lot as a kid and yeah I guess people would have been like yeah Dan's probably gonna like have his act together and go figure something out go figure uh, something out and were you a good student yeah I was a good student 
I in the school good yeah. good focused on what were your kind of or maybe you don't have a sense of this I'm always curious especially asking this from the perspective of being a mom um what were your kind of family values like what was important to your family uh things were really important to my family were that whatever like honesty like be honest um you know do the right thing or get caught if you do the wrong thing and you know, own up to it and take responsibility. That was definitely a big part of it. I remember my mom would always say, she said two things to me a lot. One was just do well. My parents never pushed me to do anything specific. They were never like, you need to do this or you need to work harder in school or all like, you need to do this sport or push me towards something. They just kind of said, whatever you do, you should just do it really well, which I liked in, in hindsight. And then they would, my mom would always say, all right, well, if you ever do the wrong thing, I hope you get caught. Oh, you know, like just it. like go yeah. out and live your life, but like do the right thing. And if you don't, then get caught and learn from it. And yeah, I, I felt really, I honestly felt like I had a really great kind of like set of values um, for my parents and those things. I, I feel like my parents were remarkably consistent. Like they just kind of, they lived what they said. I didn't see a lot of inconsistency and I still don't, which is kind of when I, as I was growing up, I'm like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And I, uh, you know, my mom was an ESL teacher. We had a lot of foreign families and, and refugees and immigrants living in my house growing up and then students for years. And so I, I learned also That's a lot amazing. about like, valuing other cultures, um, being really open to language and food and culture and and that, you know, just giving people opportunities um, in yeah. this country was really important. And we did a lot of work to get people, you know, to help them find jobs and, um, and get access once they came here uh, from wherever they had come. And that definitely shaped me. I definitely grew up with a very, very much a like, you know. Like a worldview. worldview yeah. And like b believing that like, you know, everyone deserves an opportunity. I didn't look down on people because they didn't speak English, you know, well, or because they mm -hmm. came from a different background or looked different. I just was always surrounded by people from different places. And I think that was one of the most powerful lessons my parents taught me. It also inspired me to go study abroad myself and learn another language. Uh, yeah, I saw that you were you were in Chile, and then also, it looked like you traveled a little bit in Spain and yeah. other areas, right? Yeah. Where I, did you study abroad? Uh, I studied abroad in Chile. Yeah. Um, in Valparaíso, which is kind of in the central district down there on the beach, which is nice. Um, yeah. It was helpful to to be living near the beach in a California-like climate, and it caused me to stay there for a year. Um, then after that, I ended up looking for opportunities to continue to use the language and, and engage, you know, just experience different cultures. So I found work opportunities to go work in Barcelona. Oh, so um, cool. And then also to go live in Mexico city for a little while and working for the Panama canal. So that was, that's incredible. I, I have to say, I'm so, I studied abroad like for a semester, but to have like a full life experience is incredible. So as a Seattle guy, you know, going to the East coast, you ended up going to Yale. How did you choose Yale? Yeah. I loved going to Yale, full stop. Like, I felt like it was an incredible place to be. I made incredible friends there, wonderful opportunities. It was good to get out of my shell a little bit and go to another part. I'd never really been to the East Coast until I went to college. Oh, interesting. A lot of New Yorkers, right? Yeah, a lot of New Yorkers, but people from all over the world. And, you know, it was just, I, I hadn't done that much. It really opened my eyes. Right. Um, but I didn't, I certainly didn't grow up thinking, I need to go to Yale. Um, right. And who so, exposed you? Who even exposed you? Did you have a college counselor or like your parents? Like, how did you even know to think about Yale? Um, I'm trying to remember. So I did, I was pretty competitive in a lot of things in high school. 
And I, I, I remember when I was looking at some different schools and I got into several different schools. I got in, I applied, I think to 10 schools, honestly. I didn't quite know what I want. I honestly thought I was going to do film. To be oh, honest. super cool. Maybe that's your 2.3.0. I might be. I wanted to go. I love that. I love directing, producing, editing. I just love those aspects of it, the storytelling aspects of, of it. It's really the storytelling and being able to create something. Um, and so I thought I wanted to go get into film. So I applied to USC, UCLA. I actually got into those schools. Um, and then when I applied to, you know, a couple schools in, in the Ivy League, they were they were both like Columbia and um, and Brown and Yale. They all had a film aspect to them, right? Um, and so I thought I want to do that actually. And when I went to college, my first year, my student job was working for the director of undergraduate studies of film, um, as doing design work and marketing and stuff like that, and just being a helper to the film department. Um, and I and I got really into that, and. You know, the reason I ended up going to Yale, though, was not specifically for film. I think if I would have been only focusing on that, I would have gone to UCLA or USC. I had a teacher in high school. His name was Mr. Burris. And I remember it was interesting. Sometimes people say things to you in a way when you're you're young, you don't really understand what the trade-offs are and the decisions you're making. And I remember I was talking about some colleges I'd gotten into, and I mentioned I'd gotten to Yale. And he kind of looked at me, and he was like, Dan, like, you know, and that wasn't part of like my growing up thinking about going to the East Coast. That was a faraway place that I didn't really, wasn't super interested in. Um, but he was like, look, you, you got to think about this. Like, you're going to have a great experience anywhere you go. You can be successful going to any school. It doesn't really matter. And eventually, you know, who you are is going to come out. But there are certain opportunities you might only get at certain schools or that might open doors for you. There's like an option there. So if you get a chance, there's potential upside, very little downside. And, you know, if you do choose to go down a path where going to a school like Yale really helped, it's an option. So he was like, you should, you really should go there. <laughs> it's like, That's awesome. That? Are you in touch with this guy with Dr. With Mr. As you said, but, Mr. Burris? Yeah, I don't, I haven't been in touch with him as much. I tried to get back in touch at one point. Um, been yeah. Some people from high school. I do love the stories of teachers and, yeah. and it's so important to consider like what are our kids hearing from their teachers? Hopefully they're positive things or, you know, if they need a little kick in the ass, hopefully it's that it, too. It really like, is. Teachers can really have incredible impact. They, they can, it's what helps. I think also when you're, when you're going through things, a lot of people give you advice and thoughts and they're like, Hey, here's some input. But at that age, it's really hard to like process the trade-offs. It helps when yeah. someone's like, I'm really going to tell you something strongly right now. <laughs> like, Right. You really think about this. Yeah, this if you if you don't hear anything, hear this. Yeah, I remember yeah. when I was graduating from Yale, my dean, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd come back from Chile. I had one option to go become a Spanish teacher and one option to go into management consulting, which are completely different. Oh my gosh, like apples to oranges. Apples yeah. to oranges. And I'm like, but I love Spanish. And I just lived in Chile for a year and I love teaching. I think it'd be really fun. And the other one, but I like business and I had a whole business mind as well. And I remember my dean said, gave me some incredibly good advice. He goes, look, if you don't know which one you want to do, pick the one that lets you do the other one if you're wrong. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? He's like, well, if you go become Ooh, a Spanish teacher. I want to, that is amazing. It was really helpful. He goes, if you become a Spanish teacher, that's wonderful. And I know you like teaching and you love, you'll, you like Spanish, so you'll probably really enjoy it. But if you then three years later decide you want to do management consulting, it's very hard to go from that role to that role. But if you go start the management consulting track, 
and you try to get some projects in Latin America and you continue your Spanish, it's not hard to go from there to becoming a Spanish teacher because that door is, is open in the future yes. from different entry points. Yes. And Great advice. Exactly. The, the, these moments of advice people hand off, like that, that is why I went and did it. Like I remember yeah. very clearly walking out of that meeting thinking that was really smart. I'm going to do that. And you also weren't entitled and you were listening, which is half of it also, yeah, like I guess seeking so. seeking information from people who have had a little bit more experience. Um, interesting. Oliver Wyman was actually a client of mine when I was recruiting in New York. Great firm. That's a really yeah. cool. So obviously you went the management consulting route. Yeah, I went the management right? consulting route. And, you know, I ended up also getting to do some, the summer after college and the summer after that, I was able to lead trips with kids in the outdoors. Like um, there's a, a group called Adventure Treks. It's where you take a group of maybe 15, 16 kids on a four-week adventure, backpacking, river, you know, river rafting, climbing, sea kayaking. Um, kind of like our bound is the more how old are these kids? And are they kids that are just seeking connection to the outdoors or are they kids that need a little bit of like, you know, the, the program range from 12 to, seven, 12 to 17 years old. Usually the kids are within one to two years of each other on the trips. And it can be a range, but honestly, a lot of the kids going on it were there because they were excited about the experience. It was fun. And there's a lot of leadership development, but that let me scratch my itch of kind of teaching and engaging and, and developing people. And I still look for opportunities to do that. Um, you know, but, but I'm, I am really glad I did the management consulting track. I was able yeah. to scratch the Spanish itch as well by going to these countries and, and working in, in Mexico and Spain. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've kept up your Spanish, right? Más o menos. <laughs> I mean, it must be helpful with, with work because you've, you're dealing with people, you know, probably speaking a lot of different languages, the drivers and the shippers, just everybody at work. Do you ever use your Spanish at Convoy? Not very much these days. We have a, um, a Latinx group and I've done some, I've at some points gone and spoken in Spanish and they've been, they've been gracious. It, well, it gives you huge credibility. You're but, like, here I am. But like, I did in the early days. I was the first, I was the only person at Convoy that spoke Spanish up till maybe we were 25 or 30 people, I think. And yeah, super cool. I did have phone calls with truck drivers that only spoke Spanish. And one thing I'm really proud of is, especially growing up in a home where ESL was really important. And we, like, I, I grew up in a home where, you know, immigrants and refugees coming to this country was viewed as a really positive thing and something we needed to support and develop that was part of our history as a country and and you know the opportunity of, of the united states and the american dream and so i love that convoy is really good for first generation immigrants in esl because Huge. you don't have to get on the phone one thing we found from our truck drivers is it can be intimidating when english is your second language and you're on the phone negotiating with a a broker back and forth. And if you're at a language disadvantage, you can miss things and it can be harder to negotiate that. And so because we can lay everything out in cleanly in an app, that's easy to see and read and you can negotiate via the app and you can pick the job via the app without having to be on a you know heated discussion with somebody. It's advantageous if, if you- Oh, it's huge. So I, I'm excited. I want, there's so many questions I have about Convoy and it's incredible to watch what you've built over the last, I guess we're in 2022, almost seven years, right? It's crazy, but you had, of all the people I've had on the podcast, like you've worked for the, some of the big guys. I mean, you literally, you've got the management consulting route. Sounds like you just decided to completely pivot and go the tech route. Um, I'm curious how you made the decision to make 
that change? And who was your, who was giving you advice at that point? Yeah. That's my first question. And then I want to get into like the culture of Google, Amazon, Microsoft. Okay. I always wanted to be in tech. So I knew that was the, like, I didn't know if teaching or consulting or something was going to be the first thing I kind of did in my career coming out of college, but I knew that like technology was always really interesting to me. So I was the kid who was 10 years old when my dad brought home an IBM XT computer from, you know, from his office and just let me play with it. And I was getting on the internet before there was a, you know, when it was all just text with my 2400 bottom modem through the King County library system, like, um, or These stories are so rich. Like, how are we going to have our kids like this? This yeah, is this I just, and I hacked and just played incredible. with my computer and taught myself stuff for years. And then I became, you know, my job was help other people with their computers. And in college, I had kind of the help other people get their technology going job as well. And uh, anyway, that's that. I just loved that. And I remember growing up in Microsoft, in a Microsoft town in Seattle. I remember reading about Microsoft when I was a kid in the newspaper and thinking that it was really amazing. Um, so I always had this like desire to just, I thought tech was cool. And I, and I felt like it opened the door. Like the fact that I could get on the internet when I was 11 or 12 and just, I remember that the first hack I found was you could go on the King County library system or the Seattle library system and you could order whatever movies because they let you get check out movies from the library. Mm. So I would go on there and like order 15 movies and they would just mail them to my house and I'd have 15 VHS tapes that I could, and my parents were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I was going to say your parents are like, what's happening? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I just like can order all my own movies now. Um, yeah. So you knew tech was the route. Tech. Yeah. And then, and then after, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get into that space. So in consulting, I did some transportation work. And I did some tech work and then I knew I was going to come back to Seattle. I, uh, you know, when I was in the Bay Area, I was living in the Bay Area before I moved back to Seattle after college. Yeah. I joined a tech startup. Um, I actually thought about starting my own back in 2007. I went and did about a couple months of research. I, I took two weeks of vacation from my job to go research some startup ideas that I had and in a network. And I just networked and networked and networked, um, meeting all these people in technology, you know, wrote, wrote everyone's name down, tracked it, kind of maintained those relationships over the years. Um, even some of those helped with Convoy later and, and ended up working at a startup in the Bay Area for about a year before I moved back to Seattle to start a family. And when I came back home to start a family, it was 2008. Uh, I had just taken a around the world trip with my then pregnant wife. Um, you guys traveled around the world and she was pregnant? During her second trimester, yeah. Oh, that's the coolest. We decided to do that. I had enough points saved up that I could, we could pay for two around the world tickets. Um, and it was the doctor was like, yeah, this is a good time to go. And but, how smart for you to just take advantage of that before getting your yeah. launching everything. So we did that. And then, but then we got back to the United States and it was 2008. The economy had just collapsed when we were gone. We came back in late October um, or October. And, you know, I had left some money in the market that I had saved up over the last five years of working. That was gone. I hadn't been online. My bank was at Washington Mutual was out of business. The job that I'd been oh, expecting shit. to have when I got to Seattle was gone. Um, so everything was gone and I had to kind of reset and I was really fortunate. A good friend of mine from college, um, that I had actually introduced to Microsoft originally, uh, I had, I met up with him and he said, look, like, I think I might have an opportunity for you at Microsoft. Cause I, I couldn't get an interview. I was meeting six, seven people a day around Seattle and I could not get a single interview. I met with you know, Amazon six times and everybody else, everybody I could find, nobody was hiring back then. And so I got this one interview at Microsoft um, and I got the job 
And I was really lucky to get a product management job in the end of 2008. And that kind of was necessary because I was about to start a family and I had nothing, you know, I didn't have money at that point. Um, and so, you know, that, that taught me a lot about. I was about to say like how incredible um, to go through that. I've been recruiting through all of these crazy down markets. I was recruiting in the down market in New York, actually, when the financial crisis hit. And, but I've never been in a market where I was searching for a job and, and nobody will interview me yeah. like that, that I think would make you an, an even better CEO, <laughs> like to have empathy for people that are going through the interview process. It's hard. It is really hard. I remember. So gra- I graduated right after the tech bubble burst. And then I made this life transition in 2008. So I hit two times where I was looking for a new job when there weren't new jobs. And it, it definitely made me feel like I need to work hard to earn what I'm going to get. And I don't have a lot of, I guess, entitlement is the word just because, because I just am so used to things not being there. I actually have a fear of like things. I think I have like an, uh, um, it's like in the underbelly of like how you operate, almost an irrational fear now of like the market crash, like just because I've been through two of those and I've been when there was no jobs. And I think I, I, I try to talk to people about it sometimes now, and it's extremely hard for people to understand yeah. what it would be like if nobody was interviewing you, whereas now there's, you know. Well, it's so frothy right now. It's it's um, ridiculous. Yeah, it's, so I went it, through that and and that shaped me. Um, and and then I, I ended up, you know, getting the job at Microsoft and continuing technology. Yeah. Uh, so you're working in product management and you've had roles, kind of varied roles in product management and a little bit of biz dev across your career, correct? That's right. You're kind of one of these Swiss Army knives who seems like you've got a lot of skill sets. If if you weren't a CEO right now, where would you be? Would you be in biz dev or would you be in product? Or like, where do you thrive? I would probably either be in product, like a, a kind of multi, maybe a, a cross-functional GM or product role. I think that's kind of where I thrive. Although... In doing Convoy, I've learned how much I love and enjoy business development, partnership, relationship building, building, selling. I I really enjoy it. I'm good at it. Um, And I love being able to, you know, convey a vision and idea to someone and then see them use it and benefit from it. And, you know, there's nothing more rewarding than a customer talking about how valuable something is that you've been able to do for them like and how it helped them like i think there's almost like that well i have to say i watched a little video and preparing for today on your um on your site and i had chills i was like moved by it like you're really changing people's lives with convoy and i want to get to it but i'm curious after working for these three big you know huge companies microsoft amazon and google um which of those roles i guess um set you up best for your role at at Convoy and and what elements of the culture from those places did you take to say, this is kind of how I want to set the stage for the culture I want to build at Convoy? Yeah, we took pieces from everywhere, to be honest. We we left things behind and we took pieces. And one of the things that Grant and I talked about a lot in the early days is, you know, when you're founding a company, you're also going to be an employee of that company for a long time. You have to work there too, you know? So let's make this a place we want to work. And what do we yeah. like and not like? And so, you know, for example, um, I thought Google did a really good job of like thinking about all the small details that made it lower friction to work there. 
like just little things. And, and it made it feel like it was a little bit more um, employee driven. So I remember a couple of things I really liked that we kind of took at one point were uh, employees could give each other recognition awards. Like you could just give a peer award to someone. Um, I thought that was really, really, you didn't have to go, you know, it wasn't like I get it. My manager gives the award. It's that I can give it a peer right. award. I love that. Even little things like the way they did their, this is going to sound cheesy, but like the way they did their. I'm writing it down. Actually. I like that yeah. a lot. As, as mundane as the way Google did their conference rooms was using words in alphabetical order in a rotation around the office versus when I was at Microsoft and Amazon, it was like, 17.425 was the conference code and it was like yeah it felt like it was oh, i've seen all sorts of cool stuff we, we didn't implement but i saw like you know mountain ranges yeah, or just, just rec stuff. record labels or all sorts of cool stuff yeah. i love that so i remember i mean other people have done that too but i remember thinking oh let's let's take that model that model works really well and then i love yeah kind of the value system that amazon has where they have a lot of different values they use them in everything um mm -hmm. and you know i i we we created our own set of values, but I kind of took the model of having a lot of values that you use. You try to use them and bake them into your daily life at your company and like make yeah, more than in, including the interview loop and everything. Exactly. Exactly. And more than just a poster on the wall. That was kind of like, yeah. oh, we, learned, we like that, you know, idea or the idea that. of being, you know, writing stuff down and really kind of being customer obsessed. Like that seemed like the right thing to do. Um, Absolutely. You know, I really liked the interview rigor that I, that I learned for the first time at Microsoft, like this idea of let's have really challenging interviews. Let's really like look beyond just the skill sets of the individual, like their exact skills to like, how do they think as an individual and, and how mm -hmm. um, adaptable and resilient are they? And just these other things you challenge people on. I remember learning that at Microsoft. So there were just pieces that we learned in each of these companies. And you, you know, you always want to, one of the values we created at Convoy is innovate deliberately, which means you know, your focus is a limited resource. And if you innovate everywhere, you will do worse. You will be a worse innovator in all of those places because you're spreading yourself thin. It's much better to pick the places where you can innovate and then give yourself full reign to copy best in class in areas where you shouldn't innovate. You shouldn't feel bad about copying best in class. And so right. when we were thinking about the culture, we were saying, you know, there's certain areas we're going to want to innovate and have things that are, that are just us, like where we're going to push these forward. And there's other things. Let's just take pieces that have worked in other places that seemed really good. Right. And I, Interesting. Really interestingly, I think that that's important also because it's rewarded, right? Like come up, take a risk, bring an idea. It's celebrated. You're not going to fail. Like, I feel like at some of the bigger companies, it can be almost like you're prohibited from being innovative or from coming up with a new idea because the politics get in the way, or you're not like somebody's not on board with what you're just, what you're trying to implement whereas it's like convoy feels like even though you guys have grown so big that it's still have got that startup kind of energy yeah, right. of like no let's pivot let's come up with ideas you're safe um so 2015 is when out. you launched this how did you how do you and grant know each other and how did you know um i think it's always scary to start a company with someone like what about him um made it feel like he was the right partner yeah grant and i met each other uh at amazon actually he joined um, he had been running his own startup prior to joining Amazon, and Chris DeVore from Techstars introduced us. Um, Michael Doherty was, was uh, I worked for Michael Doherty at the time at, at Amazon, and so there was a connection through Chris, and et cetera. So we met, met Grant that way. Um, and he was, I mean, Grant, one, just personality-wise, is a fantastic person to spend time with. Like, I think he and I get along really well. 
it's obviously, you know, hard building a, a company, but it's been really nice to have somebody that I feel like I can be completely open with. And, um, you know, that, so that was really positive. I think Grant also has uh, so many incredible skills as a communicator. He relates really well to people. He has strong technical experience and he was able to kind of build um, Convoy's technology uh, and get it off the ground really fast. Like he was fast at thinking about how to go and do that. And um, that was a really valuable partner to have in building Convoy. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I figured he wasn't going to be able to do it because he had done other startups and he had just joined, he hadn't been in Amazon super long, um, but I was wrong and it worked out. Yeah. It definitely worked out. And did you guys formalize anything as far as, hey, let's let's do an exercise and thinking through our work styles or take a personality assessment or talk about our goals and our lifestyle we're looking for, kind of like vetting for like, are we in it for the long haul together? We didn't do it to the extent you just described, but we definitely talked about things like, what do we want to get out of this? What would be our goals in doing a startup? Is this a lifestyle business or is this a let's try to transform an industry business. Yeah. We had to get like, those are pretty different and you got to kind of decide what path you want to go down. Cause they're going to impact your life differently. Completely. And your wives um, and your children. Family. Yeah. And just like, exactly. And so, um, you know, with, with, uh, and, and also just what roles we wanted to have. There wasn't a lot of debate. Like, he was like, hey, I want to work on the technology side and you should work on as the CEO and kind of the cross-functional business side. And so that was actually right. pretty easy, um, you know, but it was something that we need to get clear. Right. And yeah. And is, what was the original business idea and how did you come up with the name Convoy? The original idea is very similar to what Convoy is today. We had several different business ideas we were thinking about, but this one was effectively, you know, very similar. You know, we didn't understand the details of the industry at that time. We thought it'd be more local, kind of same day local, maybe straight truck delivery, smaller trucks. We didn't think about it as the full, as the heavy truck from day one. Yeah. Um, but that we quickly did, you know, a couple months in, we realized that was really where the opportunity was. Um, so I'd say that honestly, we haven't had to pivot on the core. But what, what was the idea? Like you sat around one morning and were like, oh, I know this is a gap. This is a huge market that nobody's thinking about. Like, how did you even come up with this idea? Oh, got it. Um, you know, the specific idea we ended up building was based on a bunch of research. Like we started down, we were talking to investors, um, looking at different market opportunities. Trucking supply chain was an area of a lot of interest, both to us and to investors. Uh, and so then we went and did the hard work and, and went and met with a bunch of truck drivers, went to truck stops, walked into warehouses, um, you know, called a bunch of people we could find on LinkedIn, had 50, 60 conversations over a couple months. And that's where the, like, that's how we figured out actually where to start was just a lot of conversations with people in the industry, asking them what they didn't like, what was broken, um, you know, starting with the customer and just working backwards from there. And that was the mentality we had about it. Um, so it wasn't like an idea that just, this is what we should go do. It was based on lots of first person and online research to figure out where the problems were in the industry. Yeah. And so for the listeners who don't know what Convoy does, what does Convoy do today? And what is the business model? How do you make money? Yeah. So Convoy is, a, we provide trucking services today. 
And there are, you know, hundreds of thousands of mom and pop trucking companies with a few trucks, you know, one to 10 trucks out there. There are about 100,000 companies that ship truckloads of freight across the country. And total spend every year is near a trillion dollars in terms of just trucking and truckload freight. In the middle between that long tail of trucking companies and the shippers that want to move freight, there are about 15,000 intermediaries, freight brokers that connect the dots and, and get a load from a shipper and go find a truck. Convoy is a digital freight network. So we, what we did is we built an app and a technology platform. So all of these long tail trucking companies can use the Convoy app and Convoy technology to get access and see all of this freight. And they can use that to, to find the, the best load for themselves, to book that load, to kind of run their small business. And they use the Convoy app to, to find jobs and kind of run their business. And you know that is how they're able to kind of support themselves. And Convoy's customers are you know, big shippers like Procter & Gamble or Home Depot or you know, Anna's or Bush who would hire Convoy to move their freight. And so then we put that freight into our app and our marketplace and truck drivers find it and we, we create the market for them and then we were responsible for the freight being delivered. And so that's kind of how we started. And now we're building additional businesses that really help truck drivers be successful as trucking companies. We're allowing third parties, other brokers, other companies in trucking to kind of run on the Convoy platform now. So we're kind of really opening up as we built scale with this. But at the end of the day, it's a service that lets people find, you know, move freight. Yeah. And you, and what's the business model? We make a spread between the buy and the sell. And so if somebody comes to us and says, I have a job, it's a, uh, we'll, you know, we can do it for a thousand dollars. Convoy goes and finds a truck that will do it for less than a thousand dollars. And we make that spread. L- okay. Awesome. Very cool. And, you know, when I, I told you before we, I think it was before we even started recording, but um, I got introduced to you early on from a friend. And when I went in for that very first meeting to talk to you guys about what you were building, I just remember being like, holy shit, when I saw who some of the, um, you know, where the money was coming from, as far as your investors, you've got some big names. Who was the first big name to get on board? And who was your first call as far as like, who do you go to when you're talking about fundraising and investing in, in your startup? Like, where did you even start? How did you know? How, when I got started with Convoy? Yeah. Like, you know, like we all have a few people in our network, like, who, who's your person that you called first? So you mentioned Chris DeVore as a person who's a great connector. Yeah. Um, but I guess, where did that first check come from? Yeah. And what about the first big name check? You know, names like Bill Gates, yeah. <laughs> names like Jeff Bezos and Mark Benioff. Yeah. Um, so when we were first starting, you know, I'm trying to remember all the people we reached out to. We talked to, I remember we talked to some folks at Madrona in the very early, before we had started, um, uh, Mavron was extremely helpful. They don't do B2B, but they were super helpful. Um, Chris DeVore and Hadi and Ali Partovi, the Partovi brothers. Mm-hmm. And so what ended up happening was, you know, at that time, like we were so early, we were, we were thinking about several different ideas. Um, and I talked to the people I just mentioned uh, and, you know, Mavron let me just camp out in their office for a little while to kind of like think about what I was going to work on next. I didn't know I was going to do Convoy at that point. That was super helpful. Um, Dan Leviton, you know, Jason. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, um, and that was very helpful. And then 
Chris, later on, as we once we decided we were going to do something B2B, like it didn't make sense um, with Memra at that time, but Chris was like, hey, come camp out in our space up at, you know, the Techstar space. Grant Goodale, my co-founder, had known him well from before. So we kind of camped out there for a while. Um, and I think at that point, you know, the ideas just weren't far enough along for Moderna. Um, and, you know, when we went to go raise our first seed round, um, at that time, I think Techstars had a conflict with another company in Seattle. There's another trucking company they were involved in, so they couldn't get involved. Oh, um, I'm like, yeah, it was, there was something else, and 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 I, we ended up and during during this whole time, Hottie in particular, but Hottie and Ali had been really helpful as well, and so they had kind of like really pushed me to go deeper in supply chain and look at opportunities there. Um, and then once we kind of crystallized around doing something in trucking, uh, they were the first money in. And they, they kind of said, hey, we see the potential here. We think you guys have a good starting group. You know, we really like the space. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I saw Hottie has a board seat also, Sorry. which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. They'd been coaching and kind of helping us think through this along the way. So several people that I mentioned were really helpful. The Seattle ecosystem was really helpful. People stepped up yeah. and, and, and got behind us. Um, but, you know, in terms of the first check, it was it was uh, Hottie and, and Ali. But they were kind of, when I say first check, they kind of committed initially, but then yeah. they also opened up and gave us, you know, we brought in some people from our network, but they brought in a lot of people and introduced me and Grant to a lot of people in their network, um, which yeah. included some of the folks you mentioned, like Bezos and Mark Benioff. Um, and, you know, so we did a seed round with, with them, plus a lot of really strong investors. And honestly, the thesis at that point was, especially once I started to raise money, I realized in my business, the thing that really mattered to my customers, which are shippers that, you know, manufacturers, companies that are doing very traditional businesses, they care a lot about trust. They want to know we're going to be there tomorrow and they want to know some real people behind yes. this company. And so they, they weren't interested in Silicon Valley names. Like they don't know, not, not picking out Silicon Valley names, but just like there's a no, lot no, of I get it. angel investors I get it. and other well-known tech investors that mainstream businesses don't know. But we were able to, so we pivoted a little bit and we raised money from a lot of companies, a lot of founders who had started name brand, more main companies that would be known by them. Um, so that when they asked us who were our investors, we could name people that it's, were running companies that they would recognize. That makes sense. And that made a huge difference. They were like, oh, okay, at least I... Some of the names you're saying, I know those people. I've heard about them in the news. I know their companies. Yeah. Um, you know, they're big, big brand companies now. So that gives me a little bit of confidence. Just that little, yeah. those little things in the early days make a huge difference because when you're just getting out the gate and you're selling to a business, it's not just whether or not the thing you're offering sounds good. It's, are you going to be here in six months? Right. Right. And now at this point, 675.5 million. Is that, did I read that right? That's how much you've raised? Yeah. And with a $2.7 billion valuation, it's crazy. I mean, when you hear that, are you just like, oh yeah, yeah, this is how I live. This is just my world I'm in now. Or do you kind of trip out? Like it's, it's crazy what you've built. I hope you're, I hope you're taking it in and feeling <laughs> just pride. And it is, awe. it is crazy. I, from that perspective, I definitely feel, I mean, like I said, when I was a kid, I wanted to start a tech company. You know, I knew that yeah. someday I wanted to try it. And it took me a long time. I tried it when I was um, in my mid-20s. I, I went pretty deep looking at opportunities. I didn't do it. Then I waited 10 years and did it later. 
but I knew I wanted to. So that's the part that honestly like gets me. Like, I'm just like, it's like exciting that I had this thing. It's, it's inc- do. I mean, and I, they're starting a tech company and then there's the size and magnitude and just sheer scale of what you're running and building. Do you, I, I'm guessing that you just deal with pressure really well. How do you compartmentalize your life and be such a great dad and show up and play basketball and like have great friendships and have a great culture? How, how are you doing all that? Uh, so yeah. And I will say as it gets bigger, it's, it is more pressure. Like there's more at stake, you know, the visibility is much greater, but the opportunity is also much greater and the impact in the world's much greater. So those things kind of fuel each other, to be honest. Um, I think in terms of staying balanced, it can be really hard. I do have a pretty strong optimistic streak, you know, and and I don't get rattled super easily, which can be, you know, good and, and bad, I guess, in some ways. Um, you know, it's been, COVID's been challenging. Like before COVID, I got separated actually. So like during COVID, being a single dad was a lot. You can imagine COVID hitting, you know, locking everything down, um, you know, having, you know, raising two girls and like just kind of managing through that. So that was a lot of work. And I learned a lot about myself. And I also like realized that, you know, I think in some ways the time with family and, and less travel and just kind of being able to focus on, you know, fewer things and having a little more time from that was really valuable. And I think in some ways, uh, you know, that helped me kind of like balance all those things was having right. a year or two to really focus on Convoy, myself and my, and my kids. And your kids. And I have right. an incredible foundation with my broader family, um, which, yeah. is, which is super valuable. And so, and, and. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. I did not know that, but I also know that it's disproportionately common among entrepreneurs because it's just like, and then this is a, another child, like you're, this is your baby and look at, I mean, look what you've built and it's a lot to go through. Um, I'm curious when you're playing, I don't know if you, you and the kids play like roses and thorns or highs and lows, or like when you're sharing about your week in the moments of watching movies and playing basketball, like what would your update be this week? Like what was the best part of this week and the worst part of, as far as convoy? I get my energy. So there's two things that gave me energy in the last couple of weeks. One was I did an offsite with my leadership team and we hadn't done a two day kind of offsite in a long time. And it's an incredible group. Like, you know, everybody's all in, no one's walking on eggshells. Like everyone's like learning about each other and pushing. And like that, I love the group that I get to work with. I love the people at Convoy. And are you leading that or do you have a moderator come in? Uh, For some of the things we did, we had a moderator help with it. Um, And then we did it, you know, just ourselves after that. Yeah. That's really Um, cool. That's amazing. And, you know, every quarter we get together as a group and, and spend time together. Um, but the just people at Convoy, like that is the story of Convoy. I always, one of the things we wanted to when we started this company was to make it a story and we wanted people to feel like they're part of the story. And so that's, we have a weekly all hands meeting every week because it's the only way you can really keep everybody connected to the story of the company and what's happening. And so, um, you know, that matters, that fuels me a lot. And the, it's the, it's customers, honestly, like I was tell I told people that this week, I was like asking myself this question actually about a week ago. I'm like, when things are hard, how do I, where do I get my energy from? And I realized whenever I get on the phone with a customer, it's like a little bump, right? It's such a bump. They're so It's excited. so good. I know. That's how I feel. I'm like, when I get to talk to clients who are happy and candidates and 
you feel like you're changing people's lives, it's the coolest. Yeah. And when I'm like reading a document or something that creates, I mean, I'm not good at that. Like sitting and reading like a legal document. I'm like, this is horrible for me. <laughs> yeah. And even if the, even if the call isn't, isn't, even if they're not happy. No, even if, even of course, but, but if you feel that uh, you could shape the story right. at the end of it, I, I was actually listening when you said that you wanted to be like a storyteller through movies. I was like, kind of, that's what you're doing when you're, when you're fundraising and pitching the business or pitching the opportunity to come work at Convoy, it's all part of selling a story and telling yeah. a story. I never, yeah. Um, one of the things that I didn't know until I did this is, you know, being a founder and creating something like, even though it's business and tech, and this is kind of obvious in hindsight, it's very creative. It's a very creative process. And so I feel like I was really fortunate in that I, I was able to scratch that itch and like, be able to feel very creative about how to cre- how to build the culture in the company yeah. um, and, and, and have that opportunity through business. Like I was able to get that too. It wasn't just like, right. Tech is well, it's a part of the story that I was excited to see is that you have a female CTO. Like, I, I mean, so many companies are begging me for female engineers and oftentimes I'm advising them on like, especially the early stage companies. I'm like, start early. Cause it's really hard when you have 30 male you know, engineers to then attract a female um, engineer, but having a female CTO is like a whole nother level, especially at your scale. Um, yeah, we've been. Was that was that something really intentional and deliberate? And how has that impacted your ability to recruit a diverse slate of engineering candidates? So, it has definitely helped us be able to recruit a more diverse slate of engineering candidates. And I think you know one of the reasons diversity is so important for every company is that the more you can have representation in leadership levels at a company, people do want to come work for people that they can relate to. Like that's normal, yes. that's normal human behavior. And so it's important for us to do that. We can do so much better there uh, as a company, but that was a really important hire. You know, Dorothy is somebody I actually met at Amazon. So I've known her for quite a long time and we had stayed in touch over the years. And, you know, every every leadership, uh, search we run has a really strong um, component focused on diversity. Like when we start the search, we tend to put a lot of energy into ensuring that there's a really diverse slate of candidates, not just like making sure there's a couple, like making sure basically, you know, starting where that is the overwhelming focus and then narrowing back from there. And that kind of leads to at the end of the search, typically a a diverse set of options to, to like, go through the process with. And that's really important, I think. If you don't- Yeah, super important. And are you guys remote right now? Or are you in person or a hybrid model? We're mostly remote, uh, but mm-hmm. it's it's hybrid. I think it's going to, you know, there was a period where a lot of people were coming back to the office for a while and then Omicron hit. So I think it's going to, it'll probably come back as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but anyway, I, I that, you know, getting the group together makes a big difference. We are pretty deliberate about how we think about leadership hiring. You know, Dorothy is just an incredible- partner in in all aspects and i i think you know uh yeah you know diversity i was impressed with her background great great hire the the question about um remote is was intentional around like being able to recruit a diverse slate of candidates because sometimes you get limited by the geography that you're recruiting out of and so a lot of companies that have been like you know we're we would love candidates that are in seattle but you know, we're, we're also open to hybrid model or someone who's remote, maybe could come in once a quarter. 
um, are seeing a wider range of candidates that they're able to, to look at because there's candidates all over the country versus, or even all over the world versus yeah. um, just Seattle, which doesn't have a ton of diversity by definition. Totally. We're, we're more open to it now at the yeah. leadership level. We were not as open to it before at the leadership level. We felt like it would be, there's a whole bunch of risks to go along with that, but in, in today's there world are. and how, the, how we believe that the future is going to look, it's less yeah. of an issue. And the, the pandemic in this period of time has been net positive to the business? I would say it's been neutral. We weren't one of the companies, like there are some companies where it was obviously positive. So we, were not, we weren't on the extreme where like our business got shut down. It wasn't also like where all the competition got shut down, which is what happened in some cases. Like if you were the one running the online thing, then it worked yeah. well. And if you were the in-person, it didn't. Right. Um, we were kind of in the middle. Trucking continued as it had been. And the volatility in the market, um, because of the way we price and we have, you know, we have contracts with our customers, the extreme price volatility and inflation and kind of like a rapidly changing um, landscape for trucking added pressure to keep up with that and kind of manage our customers and contracts through that since it was changing a lot. So I'd say it was, it was neutral and that like there were some positives because there was additional demand, volumes went up and things like that as we've seen people buy more stuff. Um, but just the overhead of kind of managing our customers through a really challenging period for them has been, has created a lot of um, pressure on the business as well. That doesn't surprise me at all. And where do you see the business going in the next three to five years? Like, like you said, just some, some new business lines maybe, or is it just keep growing? I know that you guys were like kind of first movers in the space and now there's some competition, like, what will success look like, I guess, if you look back in 2027? You know, I think success for us, I mean, we talk about the mission of endless capacity and zero waste and, and kind of realizing the potential of the opportunity. This is a huge market. It's a huge, there's a huge amount of potential for us to create efficiency, reduce waste, make the business more transparent and like change the quality of service that both carriers and shippers have, the way they experience trucking, like just the bar for their experience. And so I think success for us would be in four years or five, four or five years, the way that people think about trucking as a solution and, and something that they, they depend on is totally different because the quality of their experience has gone up so much. It takes so much less overhead and so much less work for them to kind of manage it. It's just, it just works really seamlessly and cleanly. And the participants feel like it's transparent, fair, and like, it, and it's functioning really well versus yeah. uh, like the, today doesn't feel like that. And I think if we do that really well, the growth just happens. Like if we're, yeah. if we're succeeding well, in solving these problems for customers, then, then I think, so it is about just really continuing to grow and expand. It's a massive market, right? our first party business, and also then allowing every other broker and trucking company on the, in the country to run on the Convoy platform, I think is going to be a big part of our growth over the next four or five years as well, where we've built this incredible technology platform that even our competition can use today and run their business on. Yeah, well, I would imagine that your business is one of those, like, if they don't know, then they don't know. And once they know, they're never leaving. Like, once they get on the platform, they're never going to leave. But you also have to, the, the acquisition of those customers is all that needs to be the focus. Like, how do we get them? And then they're never going to go anywhere else because it makes their life so much better. I, exactly. And in some cases, that's 100% the case today. And we need to, we need to build to the scale that that's the case for every customer we have. Yeah. Well, I'm in awe of you. I, my final question is what fuels you? I mean, it, it's, it's my family. 
and and just the constant feeling that we can do big important things that make you know the world better like honestly like it does is that optimism around like this can make a difference and and that it's like in my family every day that fills me thank you for listening to the what fuels you podcast be sure to subscribe rate and review on itunes google podcasts or spotify and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes you can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.